James, turn in your Bible to the book of James. You know, our sermon title tonight is Pride and Prejudice. And, um, and we've been working our way through, uh, here at the beginning parts, a little short sermon series on the book of James. And, uh, and, uh, and James chapter 2 is where we find ourselves uh, this evening. You know, Billy Graham was once asked a question. He said, if you could eliminate one single problem in the world, what would that problem be? And he said, prejudice. Prejudice. Prejudice is a problem that's as old as the human race. It's still with us, and we all still suffer from it. Now, the fact that James devotes one half of a chapter to this subject, and he only wrote five chapters, uh, it tells us that this is a problem in his day, just as great as it is any time throughout history. Uh, prejudice is one of those sins that we've all been guilty of at one time or another, and it's the one sin nobody wants to uh, really admit it. And we're like the comedian. We're like my father-in-law, Steve. He once said, I don't have a problem with prejudice. I don't like anybody. Amen? <laughs> and he don't. Don't let him fool you. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Listen, I guess there goes that inheritance from this morning right out the window. Listen, don't think for a moment that prejudice is only found in one group of people because it's simply not. It can be found in every culture uh, with people of every color and creed. There are Jews who are prejudiced against Palestinians, Palestinians who hate Jews. We talked about this morning about the racial hatred between the Jews and the Samaritans 2,000 years ago right there in Israel. Right? The Muslims are prejudiced against Christians. There are whites who don't like blacks, blacks who don't like whites. There's some men who are somehow prejudiced against women, and there's some women I've met, I'm convinced, they hate all men. Now, what I want to do when I say, and when we talk tonight about this term, prejudice, I want to make sure that we're all operating from the same definition. Prejudice is when we make a distinction between people that God does not make. Prejudice is any time that we make a distinction between people that God doesn't make. It's when we discriminate against people on the wrong basis and for the wrong reason. It's kind of like me. I don't know if you've heard, but I don't like cats. Amen? I don't know. I'm just kidding. I don't hate them as much as I let on, but I do. I, but this is the truth. I take cats on a case-by-case basis. I don't hate all cats, but I might hate yours. Amen? I've never met them. Right? But most of the cats that I've met, I didn't like. But there's been a couple, there's been a few that, uh, that I've enjoyed, right? Uh, and so I take them on a case-by-case -case basis. That's how we're to take people on a case-by-case -case basis. We've all done it, though. We've all been prejudiced. We've all done it for different reasons. Now, that's one pastor. There are five areas where we're tempted to discriminate. I want to share them with you. Look at this next slide. We discriminate on the basis of appearance. We tend to judge people by their physical appearance. If you don't believe me, just ask any young lady walking around in America. We tend to give favoritism to people who are thin or good looking and have the straightest teeth, right? We discriminate on uh, people on the basis of appearance all the time. Look at this next slide. We discriminate on the basis of ancestry. We look at people of one race differently than we look at people of other races for no other reason than the race they happen to be. Look at this next slide. We discriminate on the basis of age, right? Young people think old people don't know anything, and the old people know that no, young people don't know anything. Amen? Look at this next Amen. Don't amen that. Look at this next slide. We discriminate on the basis of achievement. Of achievement. We tend to hold a CEO of a company and higher regard and esteem than the guy that works down in the mailroom, right? God doesn't do that, but we do that. Look at this next slide. We discriminate on the basis of affluence. We tend to fall all over ourselves at people who are rich and famous 
And we basically ignore a lot of people who aren't. I don't know if you keep up with such things. Did y'all hear that Kanye West got saved? And he just dropped an album the other day. And boy, the Christian world has fallen all over itself because we got Kanye. Right? And same day Kanye got saved, if he did, and I hope that he did, 175,000 other people all over the world got saved on the same day. And God cares about them every bit as much as he cares about Kanye. But make no mistake about it, God cares about Kanye too. Affluence. Now, why do we do this? Look at this next slide. One of my fa- I'm a big history guy. I love the founding fathers, and, and John Adams is one of my favorites because he, he, later in his life he was kind of cranky but in the way that you would like. You know what I'm saying? But John Adams said this about this. He said, I believe there's no one principle which predominates in human nature so much in every stage of life from the cradle to the grave in males and females, old and young, black and white, rich and poor, high and low as the passion for superiority. And I believe he's right. We like to label and classify and, and put people in their place. There's this book, there's our sermon title tonight is based off the title of Jane Austen's book, Pride and Prejudice. It's a great uh, title because those two things go together. Pride goes with prejudice. Prejudice goes with pride. They're forever linked. Prejudice is thinking less highly of someone else than you should. Pride is thinking more highly of yourself than you should. And so tonight, the half-brother of Jesus, James, is going to teach us this truth. Look at this next slide. That real faith evaluates all people by what is on the inside, not by what is on the outside. So look in your Bible, James chapter number 2 and verse number 1. It says this, My brethren, do not hold the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory, with partiality. By the way, I just want to stop. Can I stop right? You know, it's time for us to stop referring to Jesus with less honor and dignity and glory than Scripture does. Don't you love this introduction of Jesus in his gospel? My brethren, do not hold the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory, with partiality. Now, I want to write down, take some notes. Faith, number one, write this down, sees people equally. Sees people equally. At least until they prove you wrong. Amen? It sees people equally. Listen to this verse again in the Holman translation. James chapter 2, verse 1, it says, My brothers, do not show favoritism as you hold on to the faith in our glorious Lord, Jesus Christ. Now, that word in the Greek that they used right there uh, for favoritism is actually two Greek words that are put together. The one word means face, right, favoritism. It means face, and the other word means to take hold of someone's face. That's what the word favoritism means. It means to judge someone strictly based upon their face, looking at them from the outside, right? And this can be very detrimental, uh, obviously. I heard about a judge who was trying to select a, a jury for a trial, and he was having a hard time. I have, any of you ever been summoned for court duty before? Now, not, just nod your head. We're, we're in God's house. You're in a safe place here, cone of safety. Did any of you try to get out of that as quickly as possible, Right? Right? What do I need to say to get moved off of this jury? Well, this judge was having the same problem. And he was, finally, he's getting exasperated. He says, tell me why you don't want to serve on the jury. And this man said, Your Honor, I'm biased. I'm biased. The judge said, why? He said, well, I take one. He looked over at the man in the suit, and he said, I take one look at that guy right there, and I'm convinced he's guilty. He looks like a snake. He's guilty. And the judge says, sir, that's not the defendant. That's his lawyer. Amen. <laughs> now, nah, preacher joke. How many times have you flattered people that you don't even like, gossiped about people that you don't even know, 
based on what you see on the outside. The outside simply is not the whole story. Excuse me. Let me tell you a story I love. It's one about um, some police cadets. Now, if you've ever done any uh, police-type training, one of the things they try to train you in and help you with is be able to, when you see something, to remember the details, right? To be able to see a scene and then know what happened and be able to remember it and record it accurately, right? It's part of being a police officer. And they were in the police academy, and uh, one of the the trainers, he had a picture of a suspect uh, behind his back, and he told the first cadet, I'm going to show you this picture and I, I want you to uh, tell me uh, what he looks like. I want you to describe him. And so he flashed that picture up and he put it behind his back. And the guy says, he's an ugly looking one-eyed man. And the, the trainer said, wait a minute. Now you only see one eye because the guy, it's a profile picture and he's standing sideways. So you only see one eye. That's why you think that he only has one eye. And he says, he went to the other cadet and he flashed a photo at the cadet, put it behind his back and said, all right, here's the criminal. You know, what do you do? The second cadet says, well, I'll round up all the one-eared crooks. And he says, listen, guys, the guy's standing at, it's a profile picture. He's standing facing sideways. I told you this is a picture of a profile. And then the third cadet finally speaks up. He goes, well, I know one thing about this man. He wears contact lenses. And the officer finally feeling like somebody's doing some detective work here. He said, that's true. This, this person does wear contact lenses. How do you know that? And the guy says, well, he can't wear glasses. He only has one eye and one ear. I think that joke's way funnier than it is, but it cracks me up. By the way, when you see in Scripture and you see it says, do not show favoritism, in the Greek language, that word favoritism, those two words uh, that we talked about, is plural. And so what, it, what, it, what it's referring to is acts of favoritism. And it, it means there's different kinds of favoritism. We're not to judge people based on external factors, whether it's the way they dress, the color of their skin, uh, whether they... Uh, uh, wear tattoos, whether they don't wear tattoos, whether, however they look, rich or poor, because real faith doesn't look at people like that. And then James gives us a real life illustration that was happening in the church about 2,000 years ago of prejudice and discrimination. Look at it in verse 2. James says, for if there should come into your assembly a man with gold rings and fine apparel, and there should also come in a poor man in filthy clothes, and you pay attention to the one wearing the fine clothes, and you say to him, you sit here in a good place, and say to the poor man, you stand there, or sit here at my footstool. Have you not shown partiality among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? I mean, imagine this, the the doors are open, the church is packed, and people are coming in, and all of a sudden, Mr. Goldfinger here, he comes walking in, right? The Greek language there, that word is, um, uh, it's a gold-fingered man, a man with gold rings. He is a gold-fingered man. That's the way it's described. He has a jewel on every joint and a nugget on every knuckle. He drives up in his Mercedes chariot, and he gets out, and he's wearing his Gucci sandals, and he's got a Rolex sundial around his wrist, I guess. He's got everybody's attention. Every man wants to be him, and every woman won't, wishes her husband was him. Right? The rich man gets most of the looks and most of the attention, but he also gets the best seat. Oh, come here and sit. He gets the best seat in the front row where everybody can see him. After all, we want to be the kind of church where people like this are coming. 
Then they see a man in filthy clothes. Now, in the original language again, the language there indicates a homeless person. That kind of, those kind of clothes, ragged, dirty, smelly, right? A typical homeless person, reeking with body odor. odor. This man walked in the church. He didn't have a Mercedes chariot, and he's barefoot. He doesn't smell good, no money in the bank, and no fluence at City Hall. He's a nobody who's friends with nobodies. Not only do they not give him a seat, they tell him to stand in the back. Or you can sit beside the place where I'm going to put my feet. That's how they've treated him. Right there in the church, you know what happened? The rich got richer and the poor got poorer. God forbid. Let me tell you what prejudice does. It does a couple of things to human beings. It downgrades them from the way that God sees them and it degrades them from who they really are. Again, this verse is on the screen right now. Have you not shown partiality among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? When you judge other people, you see other people by any other standard than the standard that God gives you, right? God says that this is evil. Listen to these verses, Deuteronomy 10, 17. God doesn't look at people like this. He never has. He never will. It says, for the Lord our God, uh, for the Lord your God is God of gods and Lord of lords, the great God, mighty and awesome, who shows no partiality nor takes a bribe. Romans chapter 2, verse 11 says, for there is no partiality with God. Even the Pharisees said this about Jesus in Luke 20, verse 21. They said, teacher, we know that you say and teach rightly, and you do not show personal favoritism, but teach the way of God in truth. Now, what did he mean? So he says, we have become judges with evil motives. When you treat people less than God would have you treat them, God says that's wicked sin, that you have evil motives. That's why exactly of all places in a, in a house of faith, in the house of God, in the community called the church, there shouldn't be a whiff of prejudice or discrimination of any kind because God says that it's evil. And then James, look at verse 5. James says, listen, my beloved brethren, has God not chosen the poor of this world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom, which he promised to those who love him? The point James is making here is actually, if anything, if there was partiality with God, he's with the poor and the downtrodden and those who people think are less than. The point James is making, God doesn't see poor people the way we see poor people. God doesn't see people that are different than us the way that we see people that are different than us. God doesn't look at the rich and famous and think about them the same way that we think of them. And again, in fact, if God did, it's almost a bias in their favor, not against them. The point is, you never judge a person's uh, uh, worth by their wealth. I, this is my favorite story to tell when I'm on this subject about how we think we know and blah, 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 blah. Because in church life, far too often, people are given ministry assignments or positions in the church just because they did a good job out there somewhere. It doesn't have anything to do with what goes on here. But because they're successful out there, and often we think that we know. You know, I, I remember this year we had a substantially large gift given to the church to go directly towards our building fund to pay off our debt, which will be paid off before Christmas this year. And when that gift was given, I just, and it's, it's so exciting that somebody would do that. And I was like, Lord, give me a bunch of money and I'll give it too. I'm not kidding. Lord, give me, you know, if Diane's got to go, she's got to go. Give me my inheritance. I'll give it to the church. I'm kidding. I'm going to feel so terrible. You be safe this week, okay? Don't let nothing happen to you. Because Anyway, Steve couldn't make it. Lord, give me a bunch of money so I can give it to the church. I mean, honestly, what a blessing that somebody would make such a large offering to the Lord right here at Grace Baptist Church. It was amazing. 
And it was wonderful. And a lot of people were talking about, well, who do you think gave it? Well, I, I bet it was so. Everybody thinks they know. The one thing, I don't know who gave it. But the one thing I do know is everybody's wrong. Everybody's wrong. I have a, and, and so I remember one time years ago in the youth ministry, we was doing a little car wash for the people there at the church. And I remember this, our church secretary was also the, the, the church treasurer. So she wasn't the treasurer, but she was the financial secretary. And so in this process, what would happen is, um, and we're doing the car wash and we're doing somebody's car. And this lady who also uh, was on staff at the church, she's like, we got to hurry up and finish with this one because here's so-and-so. And basically I can remember her exact words, but it was kind of like, he gives a lot of money to the church. Hurry up and finish with this one. This one's important. He gives a lot of money to the church, right? And so, you know, Brother Marcus automatically goes into slow motion. Anyway, and so the secretary, and she had never shared any information with me about giving and things like that. And so, uh, uh, and, but she was standing right there beside me. This lady said it, and she walks off, and she said, and, and Betty's her name. Betty turned to me and said, Psst. She, she, and The man was an attorney. He was a lawyer. She said, Psst. That man don't give nothing to this church. <laughs> now, does, does she know for sure? You don't know what you know. You don't know for sure. But as far as she was concerned, this attorney who was very wealthy gave very little to the ministry of the church. But this other lady thought because he was wealthy, he deserved special treatment. We need to hurry up and wash his cars because he gives a lot of money to the church. Now, what would God say about this? God would say that it's evil. That it's evil. That it's wicked. God doesn't see rich and famous people the same way we see the rich and famous. The point is, you shouldn't judge a person by his wealth. You really shouldn't judge them by their reputation. I remember one time I went into one ministry context, and I was told by another minister there, hey, watch out for so-and-so. You can't trust them. And when all was said and done, the one saying you can't trust this person was the one you couldn't trust. And this person over here was very reliable and faithful to God. Does that make sense? And so sometimes we judge people based on their reputation. I got news for you. The reputation is usually wrong. Somebody's reputation often is either too good or it's too bad. The point is we never judge a person. We don't try to give them a value ranking and decide they're worthy uh, of love or even serving. Uh, let me tell you again why it's foolish and wicked. Look at this next line. This is the, you've seen this before. This is the, at one point it was the most expensive jewel in the world, right? The Hope Diamond, 45.52 carats. Right? It's estimated between, well, it's actually gone up, um, but it's between 300 and 350 million dollars right there. Let me ask you a question. Now, that's at one time the most expensive jewel in the world, the most valuable jewel in all the world. If you take that jewel and put it in a cardboard box, does that make it any less valuable? No. Not even a little bit. Is a person less valuable because on the outside you think they look like a cardboard box? Because they don't look like, who looks good? I don't know. Brad Pitt, <laughs> right? Because, because they don't look like, they're not as beautiful as other people. You think they're less valuable? Listen, that diamond is worth $350 million. It doesn't matter what kind of box you put in it. And a soul is worth the blood of Jesus Christ. And it doesn't matter what kind of box you put it in. Are they less valuable because nobody wants their autograph or they don't seem to have anything to offer? Look what the Bible says in Proverbs 28, verse 21. It says to show partiality is not good because for a piece of bread, a man will trans 
grass. All those things that we use to size people up, to measure people, to decide whether or not they have value, right? Their clothes, their, their looks, their race, their status, their intelligence, their wealth, their power, their influence, what kind of car they drive, how kind of house they live in, what they do for a living. Every one of those things are totally non-issues with God. He could care less. They have no significance. They have no meaning in the eyes of God, and they shouldn't affect how we treat people either because real faith will look, people, uh, look at people equally we'll see people how god sees them and number two writes this down real faith loves people primarily it's mostly about people all of this is about people i'm, I'm gonna be honest with you you know we're uh, don't forget about our business meeting next sunday night <laughs> november 3rd 6 p.m be here right be here at grace baptist church for this important time it's an exciting time it's a time of celebration but you need to be here and we're talking about building buildings why do we want to build buildings because we care about people because it's people it's all about people. We're not erecting monuments to ourselves or, and to the history in the name of Grace Baptist Church. It's so that we can reach even more people, that we can minister even better to the people we have now and minister to even more people in the future. Real faith loves people primarily. People are the thing. Do people ever get on your nerves? Me too. Amen? But we have to remind ourselves, people, people, people are the reason why Jesus didn't just take us with them the moment we got saved. He left us here with a mission and a purpose. What is our mission and purpose? People. It's always about people. Look what James says in verse 8. There's really one cure for the disease of discrimination, and that's love, man. If you really fulfill, he says, if you really fulfill the royal law, the royal law, according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. You do well. But if you show partiality, you commit sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. Let me just put it bluntly. If you see every person on this planet as your neighbor and you love your neighbor as yourself, prejudice will never have a place in your heart. James calls this the royal law, right? Because it's the king of all laws. When you love others as you love yourself, you're going to look at others the same as yourself. Understand prejudice is not just a weakness. It's a wickedness. It's sinful. God hates it. Jesus said of all the laws that God gave you that you could sum them up. Love God with all your heart and love others as yourself. And if you're prejudiced in any way, you're breaking both of those commandments. If you're showing prejudice, if you're treating somebody with partiality, you're treating somebody different by some other standard than what God would, would use, you're breaking that first one. You're not loving God above all, and you're certainly not loving your neighbor as yourself. You're breaking the two greatest commandments at the same time. But let me show you how bad it is in verse 10. Look at it in your Bible. James says, for whoever shall keep the whole law and yet stumble him. By the way, time out. Paul, stop. Let me just talk about this for just a moment. This is the verse that people use to sin. And if I had all books in the Bible, you wouldn't want to use James as your scapegoat for sin. Because James, he, he's on the trail of sin, brother. And he does not hold back, right? And I, I, just, I just think James is probably kind of cranky himself in some days. But listen. They'll say, well, if, you know, no sin is different than the others. If you, you, if you, commit, if you tell a lie, it's the same. Listen, uh, what we're about to learn here is that James tells us that when we sin, we transgress the whole of the law. That doesn't mean that all sins are equal. Don't believe that lie. That's not true. To rape a baby is a greater sin than to gossip about a woman. Nowhere in God's word does it indicate that there is an equal value system to sin. There are greater sins that have even greater consequences here in eternity. So don't believe that lie. 
And for goodness sake, do not perpetuate it. What he's saying here is they went, well, let's look at what he's saying. I'll get back on track. He said, whoever shall keep the whole law and yet stumble in one point, he is guilty of all. For he who said, do not commit adultery, also said, do not murder. Now, if you do not commit adultery, but you do murder, you have become a transgressor of the law. Paul here is pointing at the imperfection of trying to keep the law. Somehow thinking that you're perfect and good enough. And he says, for whoever shall keep the whole law, yet stumble in one point, he is guilty of all. And what Paul, what, what James here is saying, he is saying, See, for the Pharisees, this crowd that he's talking to, uh, these two were the greatest sins. If you don't commit murder, you don't commit adultery, pretty much you're a, a good person. And James is railing against this lie. He's saying, listen, you are no better than these other people. Your sin is just as, uh, you're just as culpable for your sin as anybody else. You think that just because you're prejudiced, that's not a sin. God says it's wicked. It's just as wicked to commit adultery. Let me give you a couple of reasons why we should never, ever, ever show partiality. Write this down. Number one, because of the principle of creation. The principle of creation. The principle of creation simply tells us that God created every one of us. And that's good enough for me. As the old children's song goes, red, yellow, black, and white. They are precious in his sight. Have you ever seen that video from years ago? Did you ever see that video where the guy was in the studio? Where, Scott, do you remember this video? He's recording the song, and he's like, red, yellow, black, and white. They're all precious in his sight. And there's like some record, record executives, like real shadowy. You can't really see their face. And they're in the, the other, in the, on the couch. They're in the, where all the controls are, and the artist is in there in the microphone. He's like, red, yellow, black, and white. They're all precious in his sight. And they're like, yeah, I don't know. The word red... The word red, it's really edgy right now, sets people off. It's kind of insensitive. You know, he's like, well, that's the song, red, yellow, black, and white. They're all precious in his sight. And they're like, yeah, that's just so edgy. Maybe we should change that word red. And what word should we use? And they said, well, white sounds good. And the guy says, white, yellow, black, and white. They're all precious in his sight. That's what you want me to sing. They're like, give it a try. Sounds good. Sounds good to me. So they, here you go, all right, crank up. And then he starts singing again, you know, white, yellow, black, and white. <laughs> they're all precious in his sight. And they're like, mm, it's getting better. Yellow. Mm. What does that make you guys think of? Communism. Communism is bad. We don't want to promote communism on a gospel record. You don't want me to say yellow. No, that's offensive. What do you want me to say instead? You know, white really has a good ring to it. And the guy says, so white, white, <laughs> red, yellow, black, and white. Yeah, white, white, black, and white. They're all, that's what you're doing. Yeah, give it a try. Sounds good. And so he sings, white, white, black, and white. They're all precious in his sight. They're like, almost. Almost. Well, what do you want to change? Well, you know that black. Black is so, I don't know, dark. It's so dark. So let's take that one out. And Well, what do you want us to say? You know, white's really been working good. It's really got the flow. And the guy says, you want me to say white, white, white and white? They're all precious in God's sight. And they're like, nailed it, perfect. And he's saying it, white, white, white and white. They're all precious in God's sight. Listen, just the principle of creation teaches us that that's not true. 
that God made all of us, and all of us are uh, precious in the sight of God. You may have even been born with a silver spoon in your mouth, and thank God for it. But we're all come from the same table setting. The principle of creation. Next, write this down. There's a principle of crucifixion. Not only did God create all of us, but Jesus died for all. Don't believe anybody that tells you any different. Jesus died for all. There is no discrimination at the foot of the cross. The ground is completely level at the cross. Revelation 22, verse 17 says, And the Spirit and the bride say, Come. And let him who hears say, Come. And let him who thirsts come. Whoever desires, let him take the water of life freely. Listen, guys, any church that the Lord Jesus Christ can enter, anybody else on earth should be able to enter. The Bible says that anyone who wants to go to heaven can go to heaven. And the Spirit and the bride say, Come. And let him who hears Say, come, and let him who thirsts come. Whoever desires, let him take the water of life freely. Do you know why? Because God does not play favorites, and neither should we. Let's pray. Father God, thank you so much for this word. Lord, thank you so much for this clear teaching uh, from James. We're so grateful that we have your word in our language so that we can read it and understand it. But God, I just pray that you'll give us the courage to apply. Listen, guys, every head bowed, every eye closed for just a moment. You're here tonight, and maybe you're like me, man. Every time I start preaching and teaching on an issue like this, I start noticing and sensing biases in my life. Biases in my life, in my heart, how I feel about certain people. I mean, guys, I'm so bad sometimes it's based on which sports team you like. Amen? Now, I'm making light of that, but it's true. In our heart, many times, we tend to classify people in a way that God would not classify them. And when we do that, his word is crystal clear. He calls it evil, evil. And so maybe you're here tonight and you love the Lord and the Lord knows you and loves you and he has saved you and redeemed you and you know that and you treat people well, but maybe somewhere in the corner of your heart and in your life, you know, you know, that maybe you feel a certain way about some people and you feel another way about other people. And maybe it's not a race thing. Maybe it is a wealth thing or you're impressed by things. Maybe you find yourself being impressed by things that God really isn't impressed with. Maybe you categorize people in a way that God doesn't categorize. That's sin. And so I want to encourage you tonight, just do business with God and say, God, help me to give me your eyes. Help me to see people the way that you see them. Lord, help me to see people the way that you saw me when you saved me and set me free. And maybe here tonight, and we've been talking about this issue of pride and prejudice and, and, and what God requires of his people, and maybe that doesn't really make sense to you. It could be that you're not saved, that you've never really given your life to Christ. Are you holding on to your bias? Are you holding on to your prejudice? Uh, are you holding on to your own favoritism? Christ came to set us free. And while this is a sin we're all guilty of, no matter who you are, where you come from, God can set you free from this sin. And you can be forgiven. But not just this sin, but all sin. Because Scripture is clear. We've all lied. We've all taken things that don't belong to us. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. The standard is perfection, and we're not perfect. So tonight, why don't you... Let go of your sin and grab onto Christ. 
Maybe you need to pray a prayer. It's a simple prayer. Placing your faith and trust in Jesus and his death, burial, and resurrection. Scripture's clear. Anyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Is it time for you to call on him? Why don't you do it right now? You can pray a prayer like this. But you can just speak to God and say, Father God, I'm a sinner. I sin. But Lord, I turn from my sin. And I'm turning to Jesus. Save me, Jesus. Say, Lord, I'm putting my faith and trust in you. Your sacrifice for my sin. Your death, burial, and resurrection so that I can live free of the consequences, the eternal consequences of my sin. Save me, Jesus. Listen, you pray a prayer like that, God will save you, man. He'll redeem you. He'll give you a new heart, make you a new creation. Will you, will you snap out of this and be perfect? No. But it's the first step of a new life. And he'll begin that process of sanctifying and changing your heart and your life. Have you prayed that prayer? Have you prayed that prayer some other time? You need to make that decision public. And how do we do that? We do that by following through in believer's baptism, by being baptized. Are you here tonight and know that you need to be obedient to Christ and follow through with baptism? That's what it's a picture of, salvation, the death, burial, and resurrection. Do you need to be baptized? Why don't you come tonight? We'll schedule that time for you and rejoice with you and pray with you. Maybe your baptism's on the wrong side of your salvation. You need to be obedient and be baptized. Maybe you're here tonight and Grace Baptist Church is your church home and you know it and God has called you to make it official and put on the jersey and be a part of the team right here at Grace. Why don't you come tonight and do that? Whatever God is calling you to do, I want to encourage you to do in this invitation. Listen, obey. Father God, we surrender this time to you. We love you so much. It's in Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen. Will you stand with me? You come. Softly and tenderly, Jesus is calling.